You're listening to Driving Out Loud with Joe and Tracy. folks and welcome to episode 16 of driving out loud i am tracy here of course with joe so we first want to say happy new year to all you listeners out there and thought we'd start the new year with an informational episode with professional music producer sound engineer and mastering engineer pete DeBoer of world famous studios and if you're a musician out there listening to this podcast we cover this episode decided to cover this episode to help those uh, individuals out that are on the fence about recording um, some of their stuff or just thinking about recording some of their stuff. We cover a lot of questions that we thought of, but if you have any more questions, please reach out to Pete DeBoer. Um, We'll have links to his stuff on the show notes of the episode. So listen up. So we are going to start this episode out with a song that was professionally recorded and mastered by Pete. And this one is called Hey by Brother Sister Hex. Yep. This is not a band that we have interviewed. We'd like to. But we would like to have you guys on for for a show. Okay, so stay tuned for the song Hey by Brother Sister Hex. It's coming up right now, and then we'll jump right into the interview. We also have two more songs coming, uh, Keep Me Running and Take Notice by Shovelhead66. One of our favorites. One of our favorites. So stay tuned, and here we go.
I'm uh, Pete DeBoer. I am a record producer and a recording engineer and mixing engineer and mastering engineer. And uh, I live in Lakewood, Colorado. I have a studio in my home. Um, previous to that, I lived in New York City for 10 years or 11 years and uh, started out in a couple of studios on staff and then freelanced all over New York and then uh, moved out here about 11 years ago. Nice. 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 Very cool. You, are you liking it? I mean, I, I love Colorado and I'm a, you know, a snowboarder and a mountain biker and, and I love mountains. I'm originally from upstate New York in the Adirondack mountains. So, um, much different mountains, but still my vibe, you know? Very cool. <laughs> right. Okay. So how did you first get into audio engineering? So originally the, uh, from the very beginning, like when I was in high school, I joined a band as a singer and uh, started out and had to figure out a way to amplify my vocals. So I started out with basically a Radio Shack mic and a guitar amp. And then uh, from there, when I was about 15, bought a PA system with my, with my dad and uh, kind of became the band sound engineer um, to the point where my first vehicle was a cargo van so I, so I could move <laughs> nice. the PA. And, uh, and kind of went from there. And I, you know, always wanted to be a rock star, right? Like that's how a lot of us get into this business and wanted the band to be successful. But I also really liked the production side of things. Um, and that always interested me. And I figured just in case I didn't win the lottery and become a rock star, I really liked doing the production stuff. Um, so when I graduated high school, I went to the Institute of Audio Research in New York City. So what, what kind of degree do you hold from there? Uh, it's a, um, what do you call it? Just a technical okay. gotcha. college, basically. Kind of like a technical um, diploma, maybe? <clears throat> yeah. So I went there for about a year and then started working in studios. But, okay. Yeah. So how long have you been mastering tracks now? Um, so I went to Institute of Audio Research in 1998. So a little over 20 years professionally that I've been working in studios. Wow. How long have you been with uh, World Famous Studios? Well, World Famous Studios has always been like my home setup or my personal setup. It kind of started out as a joke in my apartment 20 years ago when I had a little Pro Tools rig and, and two microphones. And, you know, we, we would do some work there in between. Like I would get clients and we would work in commercial studios and we would do stuff in between at my my studio, like editing or some overdubs and stuff like that. Sure. And uh, people would ask me, you know, how, to, how do you want me to credit your studio? on the record. And I said, just call it world famous. <laughs> and, uh, so it kind of started off like that. And then, uh, I was, I bought the URL worldfamousstudios.com Cause I thought that was kind of a, a cool URL. And, uh, I was also going to use that to kind of highlight as my personal website, because I was working in all these world famous studios all over New York and, and LA and stuff like that. And I wanted to, you know, just kind of have a website about me, but, you know, have a unique URL and stuff like that. But uh, And then it just turned into the studio. That's cool. That's Very cool. cool. So just something you started from scratch, huh? <laughs> that's Basically, awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, that's badass. <clears throat> if I was a band or if I was a, a solo artist and I was coming to you, I would ask you maybe, how do you, like, where do you start? Do you start with, uh, when you go to, produce a, a track or something do you start with vocals or do you start with the track do you kind of do you break everything down or do you like what's your process in producing a song so that's the interesting thing is that for me it really depends on the project um and every project's a little different so i always try to just first of all try to hear something from the artist or the group like you know let me nice. let me hear you play the song or send me a phone recording or something like that so i can just hear what you're about and then if i can go and see them i do that like last weekend i went and saw the shovelhead guys at their rehearsal space and just wanted to see how they played together as a band so i have a, an idea of what where they're at and and what what are the fundamentals of the project um, and then depending on the, on the project, it can start off a number of different ways. Um, 
like singer songwriter stuff could start off with like a metronome or a drum machine and then playing and singing. And then we could build a track around that um, and then go back and redo that stuff or not, if it's great. Um, rock bands, there's, there's two or three different ways, you know, to start a project. Um, my favorite way is to get the whole band to play together yeah. um, and, and get the vibe and set up the whole band and really get, get the vibe. Um, that's not the best approach for all bands. Uh, some bands, you know, want to be a little tighter and play to a click. And when they have the whole band together, they end up getting pushed and pulled around a little bit. And uh, so sometimes it's bet like the drummer just wants to play with a click or with like a, a click and like a scratch track guitar or something like that. So he knows where he is and, mm -hmm. and that's enough vibe and, and they can get a tight performance. Um, so it, it's really, you know, and then we can overdub bass and guitars and vocals from there and uh, stuff like that. You know, a lot of times if I'll set up the whole band, I'll, I'll have the vocalist sing just for a scratch track. So we'll use that for reference as we go through, you know, working on things or replacing things or adding things and then and then do the vocals at the end once we have the uh, all the music and it really feels good for the singer to go in and and do a great performance over something that sounds like a million bucks, you know? What are some of the types of equipment and or programs that you use in, you know, okay. in recording? Mostly with uh, digital audio, I use Pro Tools. Um, that's kind of what was in every studio, every commercial studio I've ever worked in. And it was really easy in New York. We could bring a hard drive and every single studio had a, a computer with Pro Tools. Um, but I also do analog recording, which is, um, you know, kind of retro and some of the bands really like it. I really like it. So I have a analog, uh, two inch 24 track machine and that's 24 tracks on analog reel to reel tape. And, uh, I also have a half inch analog machine that I'll mix down to, um, just to add some of that. I, I really like the sound of, of analog. I think it's just more sound. It's like, you know, film versus digital, uh, photography. There's just, there's no pixels. It's, it's continue, you know, it's continuously, uh, resolution, you know, the resolution is much higher than something that's pixelated. What is your personal favorite, um, to work with as far as we, me and Tracy at least know that you kind of more of like a, a hard rock kind of heavy metal kind of producer, but what's your, what's your favorite to work with? Is it more of like the, the actual audio track or is it more of like a vocals kind of thing? What's just touching mm. on, you know, you kind of initially started to with your, with your personal vocals or is it more for like the, the guitar and the bass? Sure. I, I mean, I guess my favorite part of the process would really depend on the band um and okay. the project i i really love all of it i i i eat sleep and breathe music and so i love all of it i love getting a killer drum track i love getting a bass track that just really thumps and adds to the vibe i love making huge guitars that are just you know and really loud and aggressive guitars or not or just you know getting guitar tones with tube amps and then i really like working with singers which is something a lot of people don't like and dread is working with singers and, and going down that those vocal rabbit holes and stuff, but yeah, absolutely. I think it's really rewarding. Um, so it, it can be difficult, but I, I really enjoy it. I like really working on a vocal and getting a great performance and something that, you know, sometimes even the, the that person didn't, you know, was less confident about and then trying to build them up or find little things that help with it. So, I mean, I really like all of it. And then I love mixing because that's the process where we really make it sound like a record and add all the little magic and the delays and all the subliminal stuff and reverb on this and that. And just, mm -hmm. you know, that's where it really, for me, comes together as like a, a recording and a song and something that we're going to listen to forever and ever and ever. So sure. Very cool. So do you use the same type of equipment for like every band or do you change stuff up depending on their sound? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have the equipment I have, so I end up using that with every band, but yeah, I'll, I'll change up different things. I'll use different microphones on guitars and drums, depending on the band or the style um, or the vibe that we're trying to go for. Like if it's, something we want to sound really dark, you know, I might use different microphones for that. Or if it's, 
something that I want to sound really present, clean. I might use different microphones or different mic pre's. Um, sometimes I'll run stuff through more tube equipment if I want it to be like warmer and have slower transients and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so yes and no, I guess. I use sure, the same yeah. equipment, but I'll vary how I use it and stuff like that. All right, getting into the aspects of your work, um, what important factor would you give to musicians that mix their own music if they plan to have that mix mastered? Okay. So for just mastering, um, I think that the biggest thing is to not over-process um, the mix, and especially like the two-track at the end, to not add too much compression and EQ and all kinds of widening effects and stuff to the actual stereo track, because that can really tie a mastering engineer's hands um, because you can't, you can't uncompress something, right? Like right. I can, I can add a hundred layers of compression, but I can't take away one. So, um, you know, that some of that stuff is, is better left to, to, you know, someone that has better, better compressors and stuff like that. Like a lot of times when I'm mastering, I'll use the outboard, the analog gear, mm -hmm. and I think it just sounds better. And it's, it's, it's just, it's fuller and wider sounding. So over-processing the mix bus is one thing. And then uh, uh, making stuff too loud and too compressed and stuff. There's just nowhere to go. It just, you try to make that louder and it just turns into distortion and falls apart. Sure. Um, so leaving headroom, not over-processing, um, sometimes the overprocessing will even, because it's being compressed so much, it'll hide the fact that the entire mix is probably clipping by six dB, but it's compressed so much that they don't see the clips. So you've got a really distorted product that you don't think is clipping, but totally is. So, hmm. and I, and I get that a lot. I'll, I'll get that even from people recording vocals or guitars and they'll say, it just sounds like it's clipping, but the meters aren't aren't clipping and i'm like well do you have a compressor plug-in on it or something like that and they're like oh yeah and the, and the compressor is turning that level down and they're metering it after the compressor not before the compressor very interesting so when you go to record i i know it obviously it might be different for some bands just depending on how many uh members there are and obviously separating the drummer but do you try to record each person individually so you can make that single instrument as crisp and clear as possible? Or do you like to try to get like the bass and the guitar together? And then obviously, I mean, you kind of have to separate the drums because the drums are going to kind of wash everything out, at least in a, in a studio and sure. the vocals. But do you, what do you, what do you do when you actually record the song? Do you try and have the band all together to play the at least the track or do you have them kind of do it all individually so you can just make it as crisp as possible for the track? sure so like i said it really depends on the band um some bands I'll, I'll try to get them all to play at the same time some bands will start off with a few pieces but i do isolate stuff as much as possible um like i'll have the drums in a booth by themselves and then everybody's in headphones so they can hear each other but i don't have guitars in the drum tracks or drums in the guitar tracks i have them completely isolated and separated unless of course i'm working with a band where i want the exact opposite of that and i think that all that sure. bleed and raw and live and just a big rocking noisy blown out sound is the way to go and then we'll figure out a way to do that so it you know, it depends on the band. I really roll with the punches. I try to, I try to make a band sound like, like that band. Like I don't, yeah. I don't have my own sound and like, there's no world famous studios sound or whatever. Um, you know, like if, if people ask me what my sound is, I just, I just want stuff to sound like a record. I want, I want, I want everything I do to sound like something you would run down to the record store excitedly to buy and bring home and, and sound like what you would expect it to sound like, like it was from, you know, even if it's a local band, I want it to sound like, you know, Oh, I got this, you know, band that's on RCA or whatever. Like I want, I want everything to sound professional and, and just, you know, and, and that, and professional, I guess, is different because if it's a punk band that's supposed to sound super raw, right. you know, I want it to sound super raw and 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 like that, but still sound, you know, the way 
the way you want it to sound and, and, and make the listener excited and just, you know, sound like the band. So what, what do you think are the most challenging aspects to your job? Well, for me, the most challenging <laughs> aspect of my job is booking the studio because I am, I, I hate doing the business side of things. I hate having to market myself and the studio and, and, uh, you know, go, going and handing out business cards and stuff like that. And I, I think that's the same for a lot of bands. They don't necessarily want to be shopping or selling their band or, or, uh, you know, pimping out tickets all the time for shows, but it's a, it's a necessary evil, but it is my least favorite part of it is, is, is doing the, 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 you know, marketing and looking for clients and, and talking about budgets and money and stuff when I really just want to talk about music. Gotcha. Um, so. Sure. I understand that completely. <laughs> the business side of this podcast is daunting. <laughs> we kind of ran into that yesterday. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about the frequency spectrum, <clears throat> since this is a big deal in your part of the world. Um, yeah. So it can be very confusing for people, but yet you seem to understand it with ease. So for those musicians that are mixing their own music, what would you advise them to learn about that frequency spectrum? As far as like just frequencies in general, huh? Yeah, basically. I've played with it myself and, you know, I've gone up and sweep through it and, you know, listening for different sounds, but what am I listening for? I have no idea. So, (laughs) you know, so what would you, what would you advise them to learn about that? I mean, that's, that's really tough, right? Like it's taken me years and years and years to, to figure that stuff out. Like I remember, you know, 20 years ago when I was first trying to mix tracks for the first time in a studio and how difficult it was. And, and uh, yeah, I didn't have a, I didn't have a clue. Um, But I started listening to a lot of stuff and uh, I had the, the fortune of working with all these amazing producers and engineers daily because I was a, I was an intern in a studio and then I was an assistant engineer for a couple of years. So I really got to watch people and, and listen to what they were doing and, and, and kind of hear their process as they went through it and what they were doing. Um, but I think the, I think one thing that can really help with that is, is knowing your monitoring setup and knowing what you're listening to. Like obviously mixing on headphones is, is, is kind of difficult because there's a lot of psychoacoustic stuff that goes on with headphones. Um, like there's no way that little driver can produce 20 Hertz or 40 Hertz, but you're the way that, you know what I mean? Your brain kind of makes you think that it is. So it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of figure that out and then having good monitoring, like I'll listen to stuff and people will send me stuff and they'll say like, it sounds great at home, but then it sounds different everywhere. And it's, it's because their their listening setup is 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 compromised and stuff like that. So that's the most difficult thing at home is just to to get a baseline, right? Sure. Um, and I think so. I think you know you have to talk to people and figure stuff out and figure out better ways to set up your monitors. And uh, and then it comes into just listening, like listening to other tracks versus your tracks, and kind of you know, you'll start to hear those frequencies and stuff like that. And you say, well, my tracks sound really muddy and dark, right? So what is, what does muddy and dark mean? So it means, well, there's probably like a lot of low mid-range buildup and that 200 to 600 range, some depending on the instrument, right? So you get a lot of stuff in there that just creates mud and you start figuring out how to cut things like that. And then you're like, but uh, I cut all that stuff, but it still doesn't, still not, doesn't pop. It's not exciting. Um, So you start trying to focus on where, where can I add energy to things, you know, and where, where is the, where's the brightness in a sound, you know, some things, maybe it's somewhere from two to five kilohertz. Right. And you start boosting in that range and, and boosting a little bit and sweeping it back and forth. And, um, you know, it's tough. You just, it just takes a lot of practice. Um, and then the other thing is you can now with, uh, most people are working in a DAW 
is you can look at the presets, right? So that's a good place to start. Um, I don't use presets because I just kind of have my own presets in my brain. Like I know, oh, I'm on a kick drum. I'm going to immediately go and start scooping something in the mid range and add some attack around 4K. And then maybe depending on what the bottom sounds like, boost somewhere from 60 to 100 hertz. Um, but that's my own preset, right? So you can you can use the presets on the plugins and, and give you kind of a starting point. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the big thing is, is to turn that on and off, right? Like bypass that plugin and just actually listen to what it's doing versus just chasing chasing it all the time, which is what I see with a lot of a lot of people uh, working in a in a DAW is they'll put an EQ on and they'll work on that for a bit and then they'll put a compressor on it and then they'll put another EQ after the compressor and uh, and just start chaining all this processing when you know so then you're chasing it and it's and it's you know, it's different for me because I'm, I work on a console and so I have one EQ per track and, and I might add an outboard one, but I really try to make most of what I'm doing work with that one EQ um, unless, you know, there's a sound of an outboard EQ or, or some sort of frequency that I know I can get to better with that. I use it for a specific reason, not just to EQ the same frequencies again and again, or, you know, stuff really close to each other. Cause then you just get into a spot where it's gas and brake and you're just turning knobs and without really thinking about what it's doing. I feel like if you work with one EQ, you can really think about what you're doing in all those different bands. Now you mean working with one EQ on every track or do you mean each individual track? On each individual track, okay. you know, like if it's a if it's a bass drum, like just you know, starting with one EQ and just really thinking about what it's doing. Like I'm cutting in the mid range, and I sure. can move that frequency around, and and uh, you know, when you put in the other tracks, that might change a little bit because that buildup of low frequency and stuff might be exacerbated on the other tracks in little different areas. So you might end up adjusting it a little bit more, but. Uh, yeah. And then if I put an additional EQ on, it's usually something more for a sound, like a, a Pultec, like a tube style EQ that I really just like the thump of it. And I'll put that on as, you know, because it's doing a thing more than like, you know, my EQ that's more surgical, um, gotcha. if that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've been studying sound and everything since starting this podcast and think my brain is about to explode now (laughs) (laughs) well you went to school for a little bit a little bit of the stuff so you're just kind of refreshing it okay i mean in the the context of a mix you know there's like there's like i said the muddy thing but then there's also with like that that high mid-range eq that's where you can turn it up three or four db and kind of sweep around and find where the where you really get the essence of that instrument, you know, and, and find that and, and bring that out, um, you know, unless it's not good or something, but generally, you know, hopefully you're recording it well, and then you're just accentuating the, 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 the parts of the timbre that you like. Uh, once again, let's say that I'm a, a, a band or an artist and I'm sending you um, a sound clip over, over the phone. What's kind of, just for uh, bands that are listening to this, what's kind of the number one thing that the bands make? Uh, what's the number one mistake that the bands make um, before they come in there when they record their own personal thing? Is it the guitars too aggressive? Like, do they have you know the guitars up too much? Do they have the drums up too much? Or do they not have the vocals up enough? Because I kind of notice when they record their own personal stuff, they have one of those that are up too much. And you mean like if I if they were going to mix something and I was going to master it, like if they did their own recording or yeah, yeah, if they just kind of did like their own pre-recording and or just like hey Pete, you know, take a listen to this and then you know you listen to it and it's just like oh geez, you know, you guys need to sure. turn the drums down before you come in here just to you know kind of like a pre uh, a pre-recording kind of thing to come in there for them to work on before you even actually get with the band, yeah. So sure. They- so I mean, if it's if it's a band that I'm recording from scratch, um, I want them to spend as little energy on their recordings as possible, 
because I want them to spend energy on their music and the songs and playing them and getting tight. So I don't, I don't really care what their mixes sound like. I don't want them to spend hours and hours and hours doing rough mixes of a demo that nobody's ever going to hear. I think that's just energy that's pointless. Like I would rather that they played with a metronome for those two hours. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and work on their instruments and the music, um, which is why I'm fine with just a phone recording or whatever, just no matter how rough it is, as long as I can, can hear everything. Um, generally on, on those types of recordings, it's hard to hear the vocals cause they're in a rehearsal space or whatever. So that's, that's kind of tough. It's hard to actually hear the vocals and what's going on. Um, that was a big help. Like when I went to Shovelhead's 66's rehearsal last week is that I could actually hear the vocals and kind of work with him in the space a little better than a, than a phone recording or whatever. But, uh, but so there's that. And then if it's a band that's recording themselves and they want me to, you know, master it or whatever, and they're actually going through the production process, um, that can go a number of different ways, right? It, it depends on which member of the band is doing the recording and mixing and whether or not they love themselves or hate themselves, <laughs> you know, uh, generally like, you know, singers will bury their vocals. They're, they're afraid of them. But, you know, if you, if you listen to anything on the radio, the vocals are really loud. Yeah. Um, so that's a big difference between people that record themselves and stuff like that. Like I, you know, there's certain genres and certain bands where that's the thing and you bury the vocals. But, you know, if it's some sort of pop music, it's it's the vocals have to be out there because that is a that's a big part of the song. And that's what a lot of people listen to. That's, you know, that's the part you sing along to. You don't sing along to the 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 tom toms, you know, you sing along to to the vocals. So um that's and I think that's also the hardest part to mix and figure out with effects and reverb and stuff like that, how to really make that sit in a track and sound natural and not sound like a recording or a demo. Um, so the vocals are hard, uh, but it's it's all hard, you know, so, For sure. um, yeah, you know, and then you said, like, sometimes the guitars are, t- are, are blown out and stuff like that. And that just is it is it the guitar player that really likes himself mixing the guitars and and you know, thinks that that's the most important part. So it, it just, I guess it just depends on the band. Hmm. Um, but generally most of the stuff I work on, I end up mixing and stuff like that. I, there's a few projects that I master, but um, most of the stuff I do is either from the ground up or I'll get files to mix.
Okay, so like with anything, um, experience makes a person better. So have you, is this, okay, so when you hear something, do you hear, when you hear a potential problem in a track, is this something you hear naturally, you know, or is this something you've trained yourself over time to hear? I I guess, again, I guess that would be yes and yes. So certain things are, are intuitive, right? Like, you know, I've always kind of like had an ear for arrangements and thought about that stuff. So a lot of times as I'm listening to a track, I'll, I'll just like arrangement stuff will just jump out to, out at me. And it kind of always has like, there's like this part is just too long or this part doesn't need to be here. Or, you know, I, I fall asleep in the second verse because this is just too long and drawn out. Um, so that stuff kind of has always naturally um, jumped out to me. Um, other things, you know, you start to, the more your, the more your ears get trained, you start to hear things like distortion and different frequency things more, um, and hear things deeper inside of the mix, the more, the more ear training you have and the more, you know, the more things, problems that you're aware of, like even, you know, some things, if you're just starting out, you might not even be aware that something could be a problem or, or, you know what I mean? So if you don't know about it, you, you don't even see it. So in your own opinion, what do you think it is that holds musicians back from coming into a studio and recording professionally? I think it's a couple things. I, I think, uh, I think it's a lot of fear of the unknown. I, I think they just don't, they don't know what it's going to be like to work with a studio or with another person. Um, I think some people are very self-conscious about their art, so they can be, be you know, that can hold them back. Um, you know, it's kind of like going to the doctor's office sometimes. I mean, we got to, we got to look at things. So, um, you know, so I think there's that. And then I think there's also, um, the, the financial side of it. And, uh, and I, I think a lot of times it's what they speculate will, it will cost or whatever. Um, and some of that could be based on just not knowing or they've worked at, they've, they've recorded at home or with a friend or something, and it's taken a long time. So they think that it's going to, that it's going to take a long time in a professional studio where that may not be the case. Um, so they think it's just going to be really expensive. Um, so, I mean, that's the hardest part is just getting, getting people to come and talk to me about their projects and and really kind of just boil it down. Like, what are we trying to do? And, and what, you know, what kind of budget can, is, is, you know, is reasonable and where can we, where can we compromise or meet in the middle to make this whole thing work the best it can, you know? So what is it that you're looking for in a musician or a band? Um, are you, what is there a level of professionalism that you're looking for before you will work for, with someone? You know, generally, generally I would say no, because I think usually when people come to me, they've got something kind of going on. Um, but I've also worked with a lot of really young artists that have never been in a studio. And, and I mean, I've worked with rappers that just download a beat off of YouTube and start rapping and come in and do a mixtape. And that's really fun. Um, and it's really fun to work with them and maybe tell them some things that they didn't think of because they're just starting. Um, I've also worked with really young singer songwriters, and that's really fun to develop their project and stuff like that. Um, it's very, very rare that, that I work with somebody that, that just, or it's very rare that I even talk to people that just come in the studio and fall on their face. There's always something we can, we can do to make it cool or make it, you know, fun to work on and listen to. Um, that doesn't always mean it's the greatest music. I mean, some people write bad music, right? Right. But I'm going to help them, you know, record that music and, 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 you know, they enjoy it. And uh, that's what's important to me. So what kind of a price range? I mean, just to have just to come into the studio and have a band, you know, from the ground up, you record and master and everything. What kind of a price range would a band be looking at in doing just, say, a song? 
So a song is potentially the most expensive way to do it. Okay. Because we have to set up everything and go through the whole process for one song. So when you have multiple songs, when we're setting up like say drums or something like that, we only have to set up drums once for six songs. But if we have to set up drums once, you know what I mean? So the setup time kind of adds to it. So doing one song is the least efficient cost-wise way to do it. Um, but sometimes, you know, I do plenty of tracks like that. Um, and then it depends on the band. I've had bands come in and do one song or even eight songs in a four hour session, like beginning to end, you know, I've had punk bands come in and we set up and then they play through the songs and they'll play them once or twice, you know, maybe one song they play three times and then we get to the end and we do a down and dirty speed speed mix, um, which is easier to do on the analog console because I can just grab everything and and uh, and and I've so I've done whole projects in four or five hours. Um, I've also done you know whole EPs in like a weekend, so which is which is more that's that's kind of more more what what people should shoot for like two days you could do four songs right so the first day you come in takes a couple hours to set up do all the drums do the bass and guitars the second day maybe you do some guitar solos do some vocals and mix Mm -hmm. so you know and with me that costs about twelve hundred dollars so um my rates are a little bit higher than a guy that just started out but I'm also much faster and, and, you know, everything I do is a a little, a little higher quality than somebody that's just starting out. I have, you know, a quarter million dollars worth of equipment down here. So uh, (laughs) we can tell just by, (laughs) just by the background behind you, we can kind of (laughs) tell that, that board is massive. (laughs) It hurt to buy this mic stand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The mic stand and the microphones, man. But it's been, you know, it's been 20 years of acquiring this stuff. So yeah. that's just, you know, it's what it is. We did, we did get our mixer from for free from his sister. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have an old Mackie analog mixer. <laughs> I got funny. one in the garage. I've got a whole yeah. collection of mixers. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> but, you um, know, some people have uh, hot rods. I, I have a mixing console. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, I mean, they all kind of appreciate in value, don't they? How do you decide you you personally decide that you want to um, produce somebody's music? I'm I'm sure you kind of don't necessarily turn anybody away, but I'm sure there are some people where you're like, no, that's just not for me. How do you decide that you're going to produce them? Yeah, so I guess this ties into what we just said a couple minutes ago. I mean, yeah, I know we kind of touched for, on it a little bit, but for for me, it's yeah, it's it's. I like the challenge of a lot of projects and and stuff, and it's it's very rare. But I mean, it does happen that I'll talk to somebody and just realize that it's it's just not gonna, it's just too much of a mess, or it's just you know, it's, it's generally people going on and on and on about what they want to do, but they just can't, like, you can tell that they don't, they don't even have a song, but they just want to want to be a musician. That's, those are probably the only projects I ever turned down are the people that want to be a musician, but haven't even written a song. And it's this, it's this whole weird thing. And I'm like, well, send me your music. And then they just don't send me any music, so yeah. <laughs> it, it, it falls apart like that. But you know, I mean, if people have something together, something together, and they could sit down and strum a few chords and play something, you know, depending on what they want to do, I, I can help them. Um, sometimes that involves bringing in other musicians and stuff, hmm. you know, because uh, maybe they they you know they've they've got enough skills to play four chords and and write a song, but they don't, you know, maybe they want to have somebody that actually sounds like a good guitar player playing the song and, and stuff like that. So um, it's just a different challenge, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's very little stuff I turn down. I mean, you know, some people you can just tell are a nightmare from from the beginning. <laughs> but that's 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 like anything in life. You're like, yep. I just got I, I got to get away from this person. But that's that's extremely rare. 
So the guy that comes know, in I'll, stumbling drunk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I'll, I'll talk to anybody about their music, and and usually just by talking to each other, we we figure out if it's a good fit. Yeah. So coming to the end of a recording session, what are the next steps in the process? So you you finished recording, and what what are the next steps in the process? So, I mean, if we're just talking about like literally recording, so then the next steps are we got to think about mixing the project because we've recorded it all and, you know, all the multi-track and all the parts and stuff are recorded. Uh, so then we got to talk about mixing and, and depending on the project, how much time we want to spend on that and how we want to go about the mixing process. Um, and then after mixing, there's mastering, which takes those mixes and, and you just kind of spend you know, some time with just the actual mixes, the two track stereo mixes and, um, and make those sound, you know, maximize them like level and loudness wise and kind of EQ them and any little EQ things that can be cleaned up just a little bit of, you know, kind of like you'd EQ your stereo, but a little bit more involved. And that helps them sound, sound better on a variety of, of uh, playback systems and also like, you know, you mix 12 songs on a record. So maybe, maybe one song like came out a little more bass heavy. So you kind of try to adjust that a little bit, or one of the mixes came out louder than the other. So you kind of just try to try to even it out. So it sounds contiguous as an album and, and, uh, and, you know, you don't go from song to song and go, Whoa, what happened? Um, so there's that there's mastering. And then, um, and then after that, it's it's figuring out what you want to do with the music and what the delivery format is and and what, you know, and sometimes we'll talk about that before we even record. Like, what is the what is the point of this project? You know, are you trying to make an album? Are you trying to make an EP? Um, are you trying to make a two or three song demo to get gigs? Um, so that really affects where you go after mastering and, and what you're trying to do, you know, whether it's making a thousand CDs to sell at shows, or if you're shopping it to record labels or stuff like that, or looking for management or, you know, or even if it's, you're just going to release it on the internet because you want people to hear it. You just want your friends to be able to uh, put it in their Spotify playlist, you know, and those are, those are all things that happen. So. So I hear there's opinions out there with mixing and mastering. And I've heard the opinion that, the person who mixes, you know, the mixes the song should not be the one mastering it. How, how do you feel about that? I have two minds about that. Um, I know some really great mastering engineers um, that I love to work on my stuff. Um, but a lot of times they're out of the, pro- the out of the budget of the projects I'm working on. Um, and people don't have a huge budget for mastering. Um, to, you know, to get, to get a, a professional, like somebody that works with record labels and has been making, you know, mastering hit records for their entire career, you're talking 1500 to $2,500 or more, uh, just for the mastering. Um, some of the projects I work on, that's not the, the budget for the whole recording is, is that or less. Um, so that's not always in the, in the cards. Um, so generally what I tell people is like, unless you really want to uh, swing for the fence and use, use a really great world-class mastering engineer, um, then you get, start getting into people that do stuff for 20, 30, $40 a song on the internet. And uh, <laughs> I, I find I, I generally do a much better job than, than they do. And uh, I have better equipment and, so I end up mastering a lot of projects that don't don't have a huge mastering budget, um, and then depending on you know how much time we we spend mixing and stuff, sometimes sometimes I can I can work the mastering into the mixing budget and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so that's how I kind of feel about it. Like um, there's certain mastering engineers I like, and it's because they don't they're not trying to prove anything. They're just, they just, they're really great and they make it sound better, but they're not, they're not trying to change my mixes or show how good they are EQing the the crap out of what I've done. Because generally when I get done with a mix, I'm pretty happy with it. 
Um, so I don't, I don't want somebody to try to fundamentally change it. Um, so that's the hardest part for me is finding somebody that can be, do really minimal stuff, but really tastefully. So the goal of our podcast is to get, uh, musicians and bands and people that are just starting out. We're trying to give them a spot to go for somebody that's like technically the next step. Um, at least in my mind, like the next step, other than just getting your music together, finding somebody that can throw it out there. Do you have any advice to somebody um, that's trying to get their music out there? And obviously the money's going to scare everybody, you know, and slow them down. But do you have advice to help a musician or a band or a group to keep pushing forward, to keep going? Is there... Yeah. Maybe like if there was a band that's on the fence, yes. you know, whether like, they're, you know, trying to make the decision to record or not. What what would you say to them? Sure. Well, I think, I mean, obviously I think recording is important, but um, I, I think for, first and foremost, the songs and the music are important. That's, that is the the number one thing is, is just having great songs and, and, and music that you like playing and that, you know, because if you like it, you know, there's a chance someone else might like it and uh, and stuff like that. So I think really working on music and songs is important. That's why I discourage bands from recording themselves, because I feel like they get wrapped up in the recording part. And and the, and, you know, like I, I know guys that will spend 20 minutes recording a guitar part and then spend two hours trying to mix it. So it sounds like what's in their head when the problem is probably that guitar part, not the way it's being mixed. Um, so I think spending a lot of time on the music, like you just can't go wrong with that. Right. Like the more you play, the better you're going to get, uh, especially with vocals and stuff like that. So the more you rehearse, the more you practice by yourself, the more you, the more shows you play, the better you're going to get. Um, and then like with that stuff, it's also helps to listen to other bands and, and analyze what they're doing with songwriting and analyze what they do on stage. Like, how does that band deal with the crowd? Like people just love them and there's never an awkward moment and they just look really professional. So I think, I think that's an important thing to, to do is figure out what am I doing differently than the, than the pros or whatever, or what do the pros do differently than me? Um, and then as far as recording, I think good recordings are important for most, most styles of music and most bands. I think, I think a good recording really shows your potential um, it is the music business. So it's about the music. It's about the recordings. You know, that is the format we sell is, is recorded music. So I think that's important. I think good recordings are important. I think having, you know, and then playing the music well and recording it well, I think that's all important. And then yeah. playing a lot of, you know, the more you play, um, obviously that's difficult right now, but, uh, yeah, that'll change. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. And, and, and the more you do that and the more you love it, I, I think that I think that that's important and that helps get to the next step. And then beyond that, it's just a lot of hard work. Yeah, it's a lot. Sure. Of, it's a lot of hard work. Like you got to, you know, um, oh, what I was thinking is, you know, labels and stuff don't have the vision that they used to and they don't have the budgets for development that they used to. Uh, 20 years ago, when I was working in a studio, there would be bands that came in that had a ten thousand dollar budget to do demos for three songs just so they could hear what they sounded like, just like development deals. And, and let's kind of work this out and work with this producer and see what this sounds like and, and throw some spaghetti at the wall and, and stuff like that. Um, but that doesn't happen anymore. So the more your stuff, the more your project can be realized before you bring it to a label or as you bring it to a label, the better, because they just don't have as much vision. Um, you know, and because people can record themselves, they're getting more completed projects and this and that. So it could be the difference between we've got two finished records and this one sounds professional and this band's great, but this record's not professional. Hmm. So, you know, I think that's I think that's another thing. Like there's just you, you kind of have to do more yourself now. Um, and that's just a way of looking at it, because even. You know, say you got a record deal and the record label is going to pay for your recording. Well, they're only fronting the recording, right? Like you're yeah. paying for that recording. Mm -hmm. So it's all about, you know, do you need, a, you know, there's other ways to get loans as well <laughs> right. that uh, you don't have to sell your soul for. So, <laughs> yep, for sure. Um, uh, 
you know, stuff like that I think is important. And then I think, I think touring is, is a real thing. And I think bands need to, even if it's really hard at first and it, and it feels like you're playing to empty rooms and it's, and it costs you money, like being able to go out and tour is, is something that, that you need to show your band can do. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Cause not all bands can tour. Some bands go out and three shows in they're done. They, they hate each other. Somebody's <laughs> flying home. They don't want to talk to each other again. So, yeah. you know, those are, those are all question marks that, that need, you know, that you can answer for a record label or, or a manager or whatever uh, on the way up. Right. Very nice. So, um, yeah, this will, I guess, yeah, we've, this is plenty. This is great. This has been a great interview. So, We'll wrap it up here. Um, just tell the folks out there that are listening how they can find you. Your contact information and, you know, if they want to. Them social media. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'm available everywhere. Uh, my website is worldfamousstudios.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, World Famous Studios. Uh, I'm also on there personally, but, you know, the, the studio stuff is the way to go. So yeah, okay. you can email me, Pete at worldfamousstudios.com. Great. Very cool. Great. And we'll put all these links in the show notes. So there'll be clickable links awesome. for everybody to have. Right on. And anybody that we come across that hasn't been in a studio yet, we'll definitely yeah. yes, sir, we will. send your way for sure. <laughs> and then and, right on. And, and, and like I said, like they can just come and talk to me, you know. I mean, that's the that's the best thing. And and everybody that comes and talks to me will learn something, you know, whether or not we work together, we can talk about recording and, you know, it's good to do that. Right. To, to talk yeah. to people about what you're trying to do. And, and that's how you learn. Yep. For sure. Yeah. That's our, that's our goal is to get the people, the smaller people out there to get more recognized, yep. you know, like, like Shovelhead, they, you know, I think they've been doing a good job themselves getting their name out there, but uh -huh. you know, we're, we're just trying to get people, that like Tracy said earlier, and we kind of talked about already, but just the people that are on the fence of, you know, yeah, I want to do music for, you know, not maybe for a living, but I want to do music. We're trying to push them people on the other side of the fence, the better side of the fence, the greener grass cool. side. Yeah. And so, given, cool. and given them not a voice, but a, an extra medium, I guess for, cause there's a lot of good music out there and it may not be in the mainstream, but there's still a lot of good music out yeah. there. And that's what we're trying to sure. do. Sure. And I, I feel like man. one of the most demoralizing things about that is try is trying to promote your band only on social media because mm. that's it's really hard. I yeah. mean, if you have a band page, they just bury it. Yeah. And even if you even if you pay to sponsor posts, it goes nowhere. So yeah. um that's that's really the challenge is getting beyond social media. I mean, you gotta do the social media stuff. But you have to you have to get beyond that and and figure out other ways to get to get in front of people because you know you're just dealing with a corporation. It's not yeah. That's that's yeah. We we're we're learning that about advertising the yeah. podcast. Those, yeah, those paid advertisers that they don't go anywhere. <laughs> no, <laughs> they really don't. No, and, and anything you know, like any links to YouTube or or, or Bandcamp, any external links, they just they right. they they Bury fall it. flat on their face. You know? Yeah because they don't like links that lead them away from their platform. Yep. <clears throat> and they get washed out so easily. Right. I mean, <laughs> you got Tina over there in the corner posting about her puppies every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that stuff gets washed out real quick. <laughs> okay, Pete, we appreciate you giving us some time today, man. Yeah, and thank you very much. we appreciate you coming on. Driving right on. Awesome, guys. Thank, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. All right.
So that's all the time we have for you today, folks. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Later. Later.